0: If you pull out your listening guide and your copy of the scripture. Would love for you to write some things down so that we'll be able to remember them when we leave today. You know, most Christians have an adversarial relationship with questions. My very first day of college, my freshman year, first semester, I woke up early on that day to spend time reading the word and praying, because not only was I excited about my new experience ahead of me, I really, really wanted God to use my life on my college campus. And I wanted him to use me specifically in having as many conversations as possible about Jesus with other people. So I wanted to be ready. I wanted my eyes to be open when I went to campus that day. So I went to my first class afterwards, I had a gap of time, and I found this vending machine area that had a couple of tables. I sat down there. There was another guy that was similar age as me, and we started talking, and I started to bend the conversation towards Jesus and trying to do that as smoothly as possible. We had an amazing conversation. It was really great. It wasn't awkward at all, which is what you're trying to go for. You're trying to talk about the Lord and be cool about it. That's like a unicorn, like it hardly ever happens. <laughs> But it was happening in this moment. like It was totally natural, this conversation that we were having. And then right in the middle of it, he asks a question. And it's a doozy. It's one of the big cosmic questions. And I didn't feel like I had a good answer. I stumbled around. I tried to say something, but the, the whole thing just came to a grinding halt. And if you've ever tried to talk to somebody about Jesus or tell them that you were praying for them or talk to them about the Bible, you've probably been asked a question like that. And maybe you knew what to say, maybe you didn't, but it's easy to see why most of us had have, have a pretty tense relationship with questions about our faith. But questions can be really helpful. The passage that we're studying today in Hebrews, I have read hundreds of times, minimum. And I think this is the first time that I could actually articulate back to you what it means and why it matters to me. I've read it hundreds of times, but it's gone one in one eye and out the other and didn't stop in my mind and it really didn't stop in my heart. So we're going to use four questions today that hopefully do for you what they've done for me in understanding this passage. Let's read Hebrews chapter four, verses one through 11 together. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. For this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was to them. But it did them no good because they didn't share the faith of those who listened to God. For only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said, in my anger I took an oath they will never enter my place of rest. We know it is ready because... The place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. But in the other passage, God said, they will never enter my place of rest. So God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. So God set another time for entering his rest. And that time is today. God announced this through David much later in the words already quoted. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Now, if Joshua had succeeded in giving them this rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest still waiting for the people of God. For all who have entered into God's rest have rested from their labors, just as God did after creating the world. So let us do our best to enter that rest, but if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fall. Four questions that help us understand God's rest. Question number one in your listening guide, what is God's rest? God's rest is the kingdom of heaven and the restfulness that awaits us there. God's rest is the kingdom of heaven and the restfulness that awaits us there. In this passage and in our passage last week, Psalm 95 is quoted numerous times. To understand what we're studying today and to understand Psalm 95, which is about how God shepherded his people Israel from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, we have to understand tents, T-E-N-T-S, tents, because God's people spent a lot of time living in tents. It started in Genesis chapter 12 with Abraham. He was living in a permanent city and a permanent home. God came to him and said, I want you to leave that permanence and come and live in a tent. And I'm going to just move you around from place to place to place. And Abraham became a sojourner after that, never living in his own place, always living in someone else's kingdom. Isaac, Abraham's son, did the same thing with his family. Jacob, Abraham's grandson, did the same thing with his family. They eventually took their tents, Jacob and his family, down to Egypt. And there they multiplied. So after a while, they weren't a family anymore. They were an entire nation of people. The Egyptians one day woke up, had an entire nation of people living among them and said, we're not comfortable with this. So they put the Israelites into slavery. For hundreds of years, Israel was slaves to the Egyptians. God sends Moses, the deliverer, through signs and wonders. Pharaoh finally lets his people go. Now Israel is in the wilderness between Egypt and that land of promise, living in tents. Eventually, God moves them to the border of this promised land where they'll have permanent homes and a permanent place to live. They send in spies, the spies come back. 10 of them say, we need to turn around. There are giants living in this land. There's well-fortified cities. We thought this was gonna be easy. It's not going to be easy. We would rather live in our tents than take our chances in this land that God has provided for us. So God says, fine, he judges the people. Be careful that God would judge you by giving you what you want. That's what happened to the Israelites. He said, fine, you wanna live in tents? You'll live in those tents and you'll die in those tents out in the wilderness. And it will be your children who inherit this land of promise. And that's exactly what happens. Our passage today talks about Joshua. It was Joshua, not Moses, who led those children who eventually grew into adults into the land of promise. And in Psalm 95, quoted here in Hebrews chapter three and four, that land of promise God referred to as his rest. But the scripture tells us here in Hebrews chapter four that that rest, that promised land that they entered into was a foreshadowing of the rest that would come, the kingdom of heaven and the restfulness that awaits us here. And there's a list of a few things that we can know about this rest. You see those up on the screen. First, we know that God has prepared this rest for us. It says in verse two, for this good news that God has prepared This rest says in verse four, we know that it is ready because of the place in the scriptures where it mentions the seventh day. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. So from the very beginning, from creation, God had prepared a place of rest for us in his kingdom, which means he didn't prepare this rest for us in light of our own weariness. He didn't look and see, oh, they're they're tuckered out. They're worn out. They're tired. I'm going to create this for them. He knew ahead of time. He prepared it for us. We also see from this passage that this rest is good news. It says in verse two, for this good news that God has prepared this rest has been announced to us just as it was announced to them. It's also God's rest. That's what it says. God's promise of entering his rest in verse one. He's not inviting us into something that's ours. He's sharing with us what's his. Next, we know disobedience will keep us out of this rest. It says in verse six, so God's rest is there for people to enter. But those who first heard this good news failed to enter because they disobeyed God. God. We also know this rest is open to us today. Verse seven, so God set another time for entering his rest, and that time is today. And finally, in this rest, we will rest from all of our labors. Verse 10, for all who have entered into God's rest has rested from their labors. What is God's rest? Question number one. Question number two in your listening guide, why was this rest good news for the original readers of Hebrews? It says in your listening guide, they were laboring through persecution and some were quitting the faith. That's why this rest was good news. They were laboring through persecution and some were quitting the faith. Remember, they've decided to follow Jesus. And because of their faith, they're being pressured. They're being persecuted. They're being pushed to the margins of society. Some of them are being arrested. Some of them are even being killed. In our modern day context, we might say it's what's happening to our brothers and sisters in Christ in China. Today, we boldly and publicly proclaimed over and over and over again via the Internet what time we were gathering today. We'll invite more people to come back with us tonight at five. But in China... There's government sanctioned Christianity and then there's secret Christianity where they're trying to live out what's said in the scriptures. And those secret Christians are spreading the word about their gatherings very, very, very carefully. They're not putting it on the Internet. They're not tweeting it. They don't create Instagram images to remind everybody that it's Fall Back Sunday. They're slipping you notes. It's word of mouth. They're not trying to make it as loud as possible. They're trying to make it as meaningful as possible and as quiet as possible. And sometimes even the government does find out and breaks into their gatherings, arrest their pastors, their elders, their leaders, their deacons. Now the people in the first century, even maybe believers in China, they decided to follow Jesus probably for the same reasons that we do. Number one, eternal security. Somebody asked us at one time, what's gonna happen to you after you die? And you freaked out and I freaked out. I said, I don't know. And someone promised us that if we believed in Jesus, we would go to heaven when we died. So we said, sign us up. Do I have to pay anything? No, it's free. Sign me up. And the second reason people follow Jesus is because we get adopted into God's family, which means he may leverage his power and authority to help us do the things that we wanna do. To help me Go to the places that I want to go. So if those are the two primary reasons that we follow Jesus, because we wanted some security after we died, and maybe he would help us accomplish our goals. When persecution comes, when opposition comes, it's easy to see why people would quit the faith. I signed up for this because I thought it was gain for me. I was gaining heaven. I was gaining help. But all I'm seeing is cost. So some of the Hebrews were quitting, saying, I, I pass, I'm out, rejecting the faith. So if you were one of those Christians in the first century, the very first people to read this letter, and you had seen some of your friends who had followed Jesus the same as you, but now they had rejected that faith because of the cost, because it was costing you home, family, time, prison, death, and you were on the fence Because you wanted to believe, but you also wanted to save your life. Imagine the courier bringing this letter, and in the gathering that day, maybe the secret gathering, they read the Hebrews for the very first time. And you get to this section in chapter four, and it's telling you, you don't have to endure forever. Rest is coming. Eventually, this will be over, and we'll be in that place of salvation. Rest is coming. That's why it was good news for this original reader. So why is it good news for us? Question number three. It's good news for us because in your listening guide, following Jesus by faith is a beautiful mix of glory and grind. A beautiful mix of glory and grind. There are some glorious things that happen to followers of Jesus. Unbelievable, supernatural things. I was in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. That's the capital of Honduras. We were working in a small local church in one of the sections of that city. And the pastor was having us go up and down the streets of his neighborhood, inviting people to come to his church and praying as God would open both literal doors and metaphorical doors that we'd be able to have conversations about Jesus. So about halfway through the day, it's my turn, another house, knock on the door Young man, college age, comes to the door. We start talking. Of course, we're speaking through a translator. We sit down on his front porch. I remember his front porch because he had these ugly neon green chairs right there on the front porch. Unforgettable chairs. We sit there, but we're having a great conversation. Uh, he's asking some questions, but none of the really tough ones, thank God. And, and, and we're just talking about Jesus. We're talking about the scripture. We're talking about eternal life. It's going really great. About 15 minutes in, he looks down at his watch and panic comes over his face. And he says through a translator, I'm so sorry. I have to go. I'm in college. My college is all the way across town. I don't have a car. I have to catch the bus. Here's what time the bus comes and I need to leave right now or I'm gonna be late. I say, absolutely no problem. Maybe I can swing by tomorrow. We can finish our conversation. He says, that would be fantastic. So he goes back inside. I pull out my little notebook that I was carrying in my pocket. I write down his name. I write down the number of his house. I write down the name of the street and I remember those ugly chairs. Unforgettable. Go about the rest of our day. Next day comes around. I grab a translator friend, we head back over to his house, knock on the door, middle-aged woman comes. I say, excuse me, I'm looking for, and I said the name of my new friend. She said, there's no one that lives here by that name. I said, I'm so sorry, my bad, I'm speaking through a translator, maybe I got his name wrong. So I pull out my little notebook, no, the name that I said is the name that I had written down, but maybe... I've lost it in translation. Also, I'm not very smart. So I just start describing him to her. He's about this tall. He's in college, goes to college cross town. Here's what time it was. Here's what we were talking about. Skinny, here's the here's description of him. And she said, I'm sorry, no one lives here that fits that description. I was like, well, maybe he was a friend of a friend of your son or daughter, and he was over. Anybody around here that fits that description. She says, I've lived here 10 years. I can't think of anybody that lives right here that would fit this description so i say i'm sorry i i don't know what happened i'm embarrassed cuz my translator friend came with me and i look like a fool and so she goes back inside and i'm puzzled but i'm sure because it's the right number it's the right street and those ugly chairs are right there so puzzled we turn around, step off the porch, literally bump into this man who's selling fruit on the street. He asked us what we're doing and we tell him. And, and right there in front of the wrong house, the wrong number with the wrong name, he gave his life to Jesus. And I am convinced that that first young man I talked to was an angel. Now he wasn't wearing a name tag that said Gabriel. Michael, angel of the Lord. I don't have any scientific proof. I just know. And those things happen to followers of Jesus. Supernatural, unexplainable, holy things. I brought my prayer notebook, ledger, because one of the other glorious things that happens to followers of Jesus, is that God answers prayer. And I don't know how you pray, but uh, when I pray for you and for me and for people that I care about, I write the date of the request, a brief description of what I'm asking for, and then there are two more blanks that I can come back and write the date and how God answered that request. And, and this is, goes back to about February of this year. And there are some miraculous things that have happened in this journal And God's answered prayers. I write those miraculous things up here at the top. But you notice on this page, there's nothing on the top. I mean, you can't see it, but just go with me. There's no miraculous story up here on this set of days. Because if I gave you this and you started looking at it, you would find that most of these prayers are incredibly simple. They're incredibly average. They're incredibly normal. And the responses and answers from God were very average and very simple and very normal. Kinds of things that you would expect God to do. Occasionally, there's something unbelievable, supernatural, miraculous, but for the most part, it's exactly what you would expect. Because this life that we're living is a beautiful mix of the glorious and the grind. So as I flip through these prayers that take me back to February, individually, most of them are just fine. And good, but not the kind of thing that would blow you away, but the sum total of them, the sum total of hundreds and hundreds of average, normal, ordinary prayers together is powerful. Because if you and I are just waiting for those handful of moments that are unbelievable. Supernatural, unexplainable, we will miss the sum total. Because to get the sum total, you have to grind. To get the sum total, I had to wake up at five in the morning when no one was looking and no one was asking. On those days where I, my alarm went off because I'm not Jesus and I don't just supernaturally wake up at five in the morning When I wanted to hit the snooze, slide the snooze bar, whatever it is that uh, you do on your phone. When there was no miraculous story the day before. Just had to get up anyway. And just sit there anyway. Had to read anyway. Because this life we're living, it's the mix of the extraordinary and the ordinary. Ordinary. And the grind is hard. The grind wears you out. I mean, Some of you today, you feel like God has stood you up just to knock you down. Stood you up again to knock you down one more time. Stood you up again to knock you down one more time. Bad things just keep happening to you over and over and over and over again. You keep saying to God, I'm going to get up. I'm going to keep being faithful. I'm going to keep following you. Just to fall down again, again, be disappointed again, again, again. The grind can be weary. So the reason that Hebrews chapter four, God's rest is good news for us is because we won't grind forever. One day our faith is going to be sight. One day we're going to have answers to all of our questions. One day we're going to be able to see how all the days were woven together when we couldn't see everything. God was still working. The rest is good news for us because many of us are going to be tempted to give out because we grind faithfully day after day after day, sometimes never seeing anything more than just the faith. But this word today reminds us to not give up, don't quit, because rest is coming. And the last question now what? Now what? What should I do now? You see, in your listening guide, first, we should examine ourselves with holy fear. That's what it says in verse one. God's promise of entering his rest still stands. So we ought to tremble with fear that some of you might fail to experience it. That's how good this rest is, that you and I should be afraid to miss it. We should tremble with fear. It also shows us how serious God is about this rest. In Psalm 95, which is quoted here multiple times, it's all about God shepherding his people from slavery in Egypt to the land of promise. And God is shepherding us, and we want him to shepherd us to green pastures. But as most of us are thinking about green pastures at work, green pastures financially, green pastures relationally, Those are our green pastures. We've decided this is where I would like to go. This is where I would like to go at work. This is where I'd like to go financially. This is where I'd like to go relationally in my marriage or my future marriage or my dating. I'm looking to get to these green pastures and we're so thankful that God is able to aid us in getting to our green pastures. But if we are the ones who have decided what the green pastures are, we can opt out. Well, God, I wanted you to take me to this place this place of rest, these green pastures. But now I changed my mind. Now I want this over here. If I'm the one who created the green pastures, desired the green pastures, have the vision for those green pastures, then I can opt out in and out as I want. I can change my mind. wanted to go there no more. But we see from the scriptures, it's God's rest. God is the shepherd The green pastures are in the heart and the will of the shepherd. The sheep are just sheep and God bless them. They don't know where the green pastures are and the sheep don't know what they really need. They have internal urges and drives but they lack the sight that the shepherd has. See, when it says that we should tremble with fear, if we're deciding where we need to go, why should we be afraid to miss it? We can just decide that there's something better out there but that we should tremble in fear that we might miss God's rest. It shows us how serious he is about taking us to the place that he wants to take us. And it says that we should examine ourselves. We should test ourselves. The apostle Paul used those words in 2 Corinthians. So how do I test myself to see whether or not I'm in the faith? To examine ourselves. Well, that's where the next... What should I do now? As you see in your listening guide, we should do our best to believe by obeying. We should do our best to believe by obeying. It says in verse three, for only we who believe can enter his rest. As for the others, God said in anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place. Of rest in verse six, God's rest is there for people to enter, but those who first heard his good news failed to enter because they disobeyed. So we know that we enter this rest into the kingdom of heaven and the restfulness that awaits us there by faith, by believing. But we also know that we prove our believing by obeying. I'm consistently asking God to open doors for me to talk to people about Jesus as I move through my life. There's strangers out there who are waiting tables or checking me out at a store or just people that I meet on the street or whatever. God, just if there's an open door for me, I want to tell as many people as possible uh, about Jesus in the least awkward way as possible. So God, open those doors for me. And one of the first questions that I like to ask when the conversation starts to veer over is, do you have any spiritual beliefs? It's not an offensive question. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? And in Houston, Texas, almost everyone says yes. And almost everyone says they believe in God. Because here, there are a very, very small percentage of atheists. And there's probably a very, very small percentage of genuine Christians. The reason I know that is because Jesus said that the road is narrow. It leads to life and few find it. But almost everybody will tell you they believe in God. But there's a difference between believing by agreeing and believing by obeying. I agree that Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that you are a sinner? I have no doubt. I know me. Do you believe that through Jesus' death on the cross, you can have forgiveness of sin? Yes. Do you believe that through Jesus' resurrection, you can be resurrected too? Yes. Do you believe that you need to believe in Jesus to have eternal life? Yes. Because of your belief, should you stop sleeping with your significant other? Oh, that's a line I don't know that I can cross. Do you believe that you should start being generous with your money instead of afraid and selfish? Well, I don't think you should be telling me what to do with my money. But genuine belief proves itself by obedience. Not by agreement. Not by just being able to check off some statements of faith. But I believe and I prove that belief by obeying. And it says here in verse 11 so let us do our best to enter that rest. So let us do our best to enter that rest by believing and obeying. What's getting the best of you? The best of your focus, the best of your time, the best of your money, the best of your thoughts. Maybe some rearranging needs to happen today. That believing by obeying would start to get the best of us. That sounds like a lot of work. That sounds like it's going to cost us our all, and it is. We're going to have to give everything, but only for just a bit, because rest is on the way. Let's pray.